Welcome to the Cross Lane Podcast, a community committed to bringing people to Jesus. This is a sermon about the Apostle Paul and his passion for reaching people for Christ and what that meant for him and what it means for Cross Lane and how, what parallels are there and what can we learn from Paul and what do we see in his life that, that maybe needs to change in our life. Uh, bringing people to Jesus is our mission statement at Cross Lane. I don't know if you know that or not. But if you've been here longer than three weeks, you should know that. That's our mission statement, bringing people to Jesus. We want to get you as close to Christ as we can. And we believe that as that happens, Jesus is going to change you. It's not my job to change you. Only Jesus can change you. And we believe as you get closer to him, your life will change. But Paul believed strongly in bringing people to Jesus. It was his passion. It was what his heart cried out for. And so we're going to learn today about the passion of Paul. I want to read to you from 1 Corinthians. This is a, a letter that Paul wrote to the people in the church at Corinth. And uh, this comes out of the message. I just love the way the message writes this. Uh, several verses here. Even though I am free of the demands and expectations of everyone, I've, I have voluntarily become a servant to any and all in order to reach a wide range of people. Religious, non-religious, meticulous moralists, loose-living immoralists, the defeated, the demoralized, whoever. I didn't take on their way of life. I kept my bearings in Christ. But I entered their world and tried to experience things from their point of view. I've become just about every sort of servant there is in my attempts to lead those I meet into a God-saved life. I did all this because of the message. I didn't just want to talk about it. I wanted to be in on it. You can hear it in Paul's words there. You can hear the passion that he has for lost people. Uh, the passion for lost people comes out. I have several things this morning that I would kind of like to highlight about that passion. First thing I want us to see is that Paul's passion for Christ changed him. It changed him. Even though I am free of the demands and expectations of everyone, I have voluntarily become a servant to any and all. In other words, Paul, you know, he's basically saying, I want you to understand, I'm, I can do whatever I want to do. I've been set free. I could do this however I want to. I live a free life, but because I want to reach people for Jesus, I've made some decisions. You know, I could have made the decisions to just enjoy things a certain way and, and live for myself and just only think about myself, but that's not what I want to do. I, I've put all those things to the side so that I could reach people for Christ. He says, I have voluntarily become a servant to any and all. And if you looked at Paul and asked him, Paul, why, why have you done that? I think his response would be, so that my life might have an impact on someone else's life. And boy, did his life have an impact on somebody else's. Paul's mission of reaching people for Christ determined how he was going to live his life. He put others first instead of himself. Zig Ziglar was a a, a, a kind of a, a leader, a speaker, an author, um, great guy, and, and he, he wrote a book called How to Win Friends and Influence People. Wasn't that Zig Ziglar? Am I right about that? Is it right? He wrote that, didn't he? So he said this. He said, if, you, if you'll help other people get what they want, they will help you get what you want. So often we're so concerned with getting everybody else on our train getting everybody else on board with what we're about, what we're trying to accomplish. We're not worried about, you know, helping somebody else do what it is that they want to do. 
Um, we think we've just got to get everybody, you know, kind of lined up with our agenda and, and then things are going to go great. Mr. Ziegler would say, no, no, turn that around. If you will figure out where they want to go and help them get where they want to go, they will come alongside and they will help you. That would be his advice. Now, what Paul's doing is, is changing this life of freedom into I'm going to serve and I'm going to add value to other people. And I would just tell you, it's not intuitive to do that. That does not come naturally. That's not something you wake up wanting to do. Because here's the bottom line. We're all selfish. I don't know if you, you know that or not. I'm going to spend a little time trying to convince you of that. I've said this many times. At every turn, Christ calls you against your human nature. Right? When that car pulls out in front of you, and they shake their fist, and maybe they fly a certain flag in your direction, it comes out, doesn't it? That selfish nature, that selfish side of you that wants to pinch their little head off. Or is that just me? I'm sorry. I hate when it does that. I'm sorry. Our selfishness comes out, doesn't it? When something happens and somebody's mouths off to us, and boy, we, it, starts, it starts as a low boil in our belly, and it, it takes everything, and some of us can't stand it, and we go on Facebook and we blurt it all out, right? I mean, we're just, we're selfish, To be honest, we don't want to serve, we want to be served. And then Jesus comes along and Jesus says, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. I mean, to be honest, you know, don't we wake up in the morning, don't you wake up, I'll just tell you about me. When I wake up in the morning, my first thought, I wish I could get up here as your pastor and say, the first thought I have when I wake up in the morning is you. And I pray for you, and I think about what's going on in your world, and I say prayers before I ever think about me, I think about you. But that's not true. When I wake up in the morning, I'm asking questions like, does my head hurt? Does my belly hurt? Am I okay? Do I, can I go to work today? Is everything, <laughs> and the older I get, this is a serious question, is everything functioning, right? Does everything, does everything move the way it's supposed to move? Right? You don't wake up in the morning thinking about every. Maybe moms do. I'll give moms a break. I think moms may do this. You know, they wake up thinking about their babies first. But most of us, when we wake up in the morning, we're thinking about us. We're thinking about what's going on in our world. You basically are not waking up thinking, man, I hope something good happens in somebody else's world today. Maybe later in the day you think that. Maybe when you think about a friend or you think about somebody that's asked you to pray for them, and you think to yourself, oh yeah, I want to pray that that good thing happens. Lord, you know, help them, you know, do, bless them and the whole thing. But when you wake up first thing in the morning, your first thoughts are, I hope something good happens for me. I've said this many times, but we are nothing more than glorified two-year-olds. We really are. We want what we want, and if we don't get it, we pitch a fit. That's kind of, that's kind of how we are. Um, and it's okay to acknowledge that. It's okay for you to say, you know what, Brett, <laughs> I am kind of selfish. I am. And it's something that, that I have to fight, I have to constantly work at, I have to make sure that, that if Jesus is informing my life, that I'm not allowing my life to become something where it's just all about me all the time. I want to show you a picture. <clears throat> this is a, I love this picture, <clears throat> and I love the people in this picture. This is Dee Dee's family. And many of you know that every February, right around the 1st of February, right around Super Bowl time, we go down to Florida and we rent a house together. These people are from all over the, basically the eastern part of the United States. And we all converge on a house and we, it's usually on the beach 
And we have a tradition of going out at, uh, at sunset and we watch the sun go down on the beach. It's just, it's one of my favorite things of the year. And uh, I've not been in this family for a long time, but I've come to really love these people. And they mean a lot to me. And, and if you knew them, this is just a great picture. Very relaxed, great picture of these people. Fine, fine people. And um, I, I show you this picture because it's a group picture. And when I was getting ready to show you this picture, what, what did I do? I scanned, the first thing I did was I found myself. And I made sure, uh, I need to be careful how I say this. Um, I don't go on vacation and drink and do all that stuff. I don't. But I want to make sure I don't look like I do. Okay, does that make sense? My buddy Michael makes the comment once in a while, he talked about a drunk guy one time, and he said he looks like you could blindfold him with dental floss. I don't want to look like that, okay? So, so you look at the picture, and you, 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 you decide, okay, this is a good picture. We can post this, right? Like you can imagine, before I put that up here before in front of you, I want, it to, I want it to make me look like the stud I am, right? Like So that's what we do. We see the picture. Is it a good picture of me? If it's a good picture of me, then we can post that. If it's not a good picture of me, come back, photographer. We're taking another picture because that one's not going to do it. I have to tell you this story. Rob and these, these guys on the back row, they, they treat me like brothers. They've been really good to me. But Rob is the one second from the right with the glasses on his head, the bald guy. Um, that's Didi's uncle. And, and uh, uh, I, sent them a, I sent them this picture, and I told them what I was going to do and, and the point that I was going to make that, you know, you, look, you find yourself first. And Rob sent me a text, and he said, no, Brett, I looked for you first, right? So <laughs> you, it's just beautiful. So that's just what we do. We find ourselves, we want to make sure that we're just selfish. We're selfish. We're, we, we look for ourselves first. And Paul says, look, I'm going to reach some people, but the first thing I've got to do, if I'm going to do that, I've got to be able to get over my selfishness. I can't be selfish, which takes us straight to Jesus. Jesus was constantly putting other people first. I want to read to you from the message version. I want you to see this out of Philippians. This, I love the book of Philippians. I love the second chapter of Philippians. And this is written so beautifully. If you've gotten anything at all out of following Christ, if his love has made any difference in your life, if being in a community of the Spirit means anything to you, if you have a heart, if you care, then do me a favor. Agree with each other. Love each other. Be deep-spirited friends. Don't push your way to the front. Don't sweet-talk your way to the top. Put yourself aside and help others get ahead. Don't be obsessed with getting your own advantage. Forget yourselves long enough to lend a helping hand. And then Paul goes about, said, you know, he goes on to talk about putting other people first. Listen to this. He says, let me paint a picture of what that looks like. Think of yourselves the way Christ Jesus thought of himself. He had equal status with God, but didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantages of that status no matter what. Not at all. When the time came, he set aside the privileges of deity and took on the status of a slave, became human. Having become human, he stayed human. It was an incredibly humbling process. He didn't claim special privileges. Instead, he lived a selfless, obedient life and then died a selfless, obedient death and the worst kind of death at that, a crucifixion. I said this last week, but the foundation of following Jesus, really at the core, when you strip everything away from following Jesus and you really start looking 
at what does it take? What is God really after in us? There's two things I talked about last week. Gratitude, and the thing about gratitude is when you are truly grateful, what it does is it leads you straight into humility. Gratitude takes you straight to humility where you are emptied of yourself and you're so thankful, you're, 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 you're so overwhelmed by what's been done for you that you're humbled. And you say, Brent, why is, that so, why is humility so important to God? Well, because it's all about reaching people. And if we don't humble ourselves and realize that there's something more important than us, there's someone more important than us, people that, that don't know Christ, it's about reaching them with his love and helping them to see how a life could be changed as a result of Jesus coming into it. It's been a while since I've said this, uh, but um, we, we've got a bunch of new people, and you haven't heard me say this for a while, so I need to say it. Um, we just all need to be reminded once in a while. We have come here today to worship God and to give him our hearts and our, you know, our attention and our money and our song and, and our love and, and you know just whatever we've got, Lord, it's, it belongs to you. But in a very big way, Cross Lane is not about you and it's not about me. I know it's easy to think, you know, we leave and we go, well, I like today. Today, today hit me right, you know, it just was, it hit me right. Or you, sometimes you leave and you're like, I don't even know why I went today. That just didn't do anything for me. You know, we, we, we make it about us. But the, the thing that I'm constantly trying to get us to understand is it's not about us. It's not about us. Um, you know, our mission statement is bringing people to Jesus. And so... Um, we're about a lot of things here. We're, we're about, you know, unity and, and you know, I'll show you the, the, the core values here in a minute. We're about all that stuff, but um, at the core of all of it, we're about bringing people to Jesus. This place, the thing that we have to understand is that this place is for people who are driving up and down Lafayette Avenue right now, who maybe two weeks from now or two months from now or 10 years from now are going to walk in and, and they're going to be told that, that there's a God who loves them, that forgives them, that's crazy about them, that, that wants to walk with them, that's full of mercy and grace, who loves them and has a, a love for them that is even beyond their capacity to understand it. And we must never forget that that is who this is for. That's what church is for. That's what Christ is for, is for people who are far from God. And our job is to get them to understand that God loves them. That's our First, foremost, primary job. And we, you know, it's just easy for us to fall into this mindset that it's all about us. How does it hit me? What do I think about that? How are things going in my world? And we've just got to get past all of that. Paul's passion to reach other people changed the way he lived his life. Second thing it did is it, it caused him to include everyone. He included everyone. He says, I have voluntarily become a servant to any and all in order to reach a wide range of people, religious, non-religious, meticulous moralists, loose-living immoralists, the defeated, the demoralized, and then he finishes it up, whoever. See, Paul's service had purpose. There was a reason behind it. Uh, the purpose was to reach a wide range of people. Paul's like, how can I take my life and impact people who are far from God? You know what that sounds like? It sounds a lot like Jesus. For God so loved the world. That's a pretty wide range of people. That's a, you know, that's a pretty inclusive group of people. God so loved the world. My mama taught me this when I was 14 years old. Parents, if you think your kids don't listen to you when you try to have these teachable moments, maybe a lot of times they don't. But I'm just telling you, 
this was one of those times with my mom, and I've never forgotten it, and I've, I've told this probably a couple times up here, but it's, it fits in what we're talking about today. When I was 14, about 14, 15 years old, I, we were on the way to a dentist appointment or a doctor, something going on, and I was in the car with my mom. It was just me and her, and I, I grew up in a, in a city that had a significant amount of traffic, so we're sitting in traffic, cars all around us. We weren't really moving. We were sitting at a light, and, you know, radio's on, and you know what it's like, 14, 15 years old with your mom, you're not having some deep theological discussion, you know, there's not just a whole lot going on, and it was kind of quiet, but all of a sudden, my mom broke the silence, and she said, Brett, do you see all these cars? I was like, yeah. She said, you see all the people in these cars? Yes, ma'am. She said, Brett, do you understand that God loves all these people? Yeah, mom, I, I go to church, you know, they taught me that in Sunday school. Brett, do you understand that, that God loves all these people every bit as much as he loves you? Well, that's a new thought, because I thought God loved me special, right? You know, you're 14, you think the world revolves around you anyway, and no, Brett, he loves them every bit as much as he loves you. See, I thought God loved me because I was a Christian, because I belonged to him. I thought he loved me more, that somehow that made me special. And in that moment, mom was making me to understand, hey, no, God loves them every bit as much as he loves you. And she said, Brett, you know, a lot of these people don't even know that God loves them. They're not even thinking about it. And so she said, I'm just sitting here praying for the people that are around us that in some way they might come to understand that God loves them every bit as much as he loves me. And it just gives me great joy to know that God loves me that much. Now, you know, you might, some people might think, well, that's a throwaway conversation with a 14 or 15-year-old kid. I'm telling you that story 40 years later, right? It clearly had an impact. But let me remind you that everybody is somebody that Jesus died for. And let me remind you that one of the most beautiful truths in all the world right now is that God loves you. God loves you. I have a really hard time getting adults to believe that. Check this out. God loves people I don't know. People I don't even know, God loves them. Now check this out. God loves people I don't like. You got some people you don't like, and you're tempted to say, well, there's no way God could love them. No, God loves people you don't even like. And that's a problem in the church because we, sometimes we got some people we don't like. And we're not in a big hurry to tell them about Jesus. We're not in a big hurry to pray for them. We're not in a big hurry to help them in any way or be benevolent toward them in any kind of way. And let's just be honest. Sometimes there's even people inside the church we don't like. And that is about as far away from Jesus as you can get. You follow Jesus through the Bible, and what you see is you watch him time and time again, look out for and care for other people. Here's something to think about. Jesus' problem with the people who hated him wasn't that he wasn't, uh, you know, the biggest problem Jesus had with, with the people that hated him, you know what it was? He wasn't religious enough. Think about that. Jesus wasn't religious enough for the people in his day who hated his guts. Here's the question that we're going to have to ask ourselves and kind of wrestle to the ground this morning 
When it comes to people that are far from God, are we going to try to connect with them or are we going to try to correct them? Because you can't do both. You can't connect with them and correct them at the same time. You have to choose which one of those you're going to do. God doesn't change us to accept us. That's what the church wants to do. The church wants to, you know, basically the message of the church for years and years has been, hey, clean up your act and then come join us. But if you don't have your act cleaned up when you get here, we're going to make your life miserable. And a lot of people figured out, you know what, I'm not doing, why would I want to do that? That isn't how God does it. God's intention for them isn't that, he, you know, that he, they have to change and then he'll accept them. God says, no, I'll accept you right where you are and then I'll start changing you. He accepts us to change us. The church has this backwards, and for generations we've, we've gotten this wrong, but God's unconditional love accepts and loves everybody. I want to uh, show you our core values. I try to show these to you from time to time because I want you to see what they are. They're, they're important to us. Uh, these are the things that really drive our ministries, drive what we do, drive kind of the way we think. This is just kind of, if you're going to say what's cross lane, this is kind of cross lane in a nutshell. We've kind of done it with an acrostic of Christ. But that last one there, the T, stands for total acceptance. Now, what does that mean that we're okay with people coming in here, all kinds of sinful stuff? No, we don't like that. Do we glorify certain behaviors? No, we're never going to, are we going to celebrate certain things? No. No. I mean, you guys have all got stuff going on. That, that if you came up and said, this is what's going on in my life, we would not celebrate it. But we would, we would accept you, and we would celebrate you, and we would love you the same way Christ does. So we, we just, we're trying to accept people. I love the story of the prodigal son. Jesus tells the story of the prodigal, and a lot of people think that the prodigal son story actually happened. It's not. It's a story that Jesus told to kind of demonstrate the love of the Father. And every day that father is looking off, and what I love about the story is he's looking off in the distance. This son's been gone for a long time, and the, son, and the father keeps looking off in the distance, looking for his son to come back. He never gives up hope. And we're told that the son comes to a place where he doesn't even feel like a son anymore. And he's, he's conflicted. He, doesn't, he wants to go home, but he kind of knows that he, he probably, because he took all the money and went and, you know, spent it all on wild living and his life's a mess now, and he's, he's embarrassed, and he's humiliated, and, you know, to go home, he's going to have to face all that, but at the same time, he's hungry, and he misses his family, and he blew off his whole life, and the dad is every day looking off in the distance, looking, waiting for his son to come home. I love that imagery, but the son is off, and he doesn't want to come home, and he's kind of rehearsing his lines, and finally, he gets to a place where he says, I'll go home but I'll go home and I'll ask dad if I can work as a slave in the house. I don't expect to be treated as a son. I've done too much. I've gone too far. I'll just be a servant. I'll not be a son. Understand this. Lost people never feel capable of acceptance from God. They never feel like God loves them. They want to believe that so badly. They want somebody to walk up to them and say, you know what, God loves you. No, Brett, God can't love me. No, he loves you. Well, Brett, you don't know what I've done. Don't care what you've done. He loves you. Our sin kind of drives us from God. And certainly when you run into somebody that's far from God and you start talking to them about God, they just kind of hang their head like, you know, that's not for me. I, that's not the life I live. You look at Adam and Eve. When they sinned, they hid. 
God is always the same. He's always looking for those people who are hiding from him, the people who feel far from him, the people who feel not worthy of his love. They, they feel like they, they don't deserve or couldn't receive his unconditional love. He's just waiting for you to come to him, but, but there is a problem. The problem is that the parable, in, in, the, in the parable of the prodigal son, there's an older brother. And the older brother represents those of us who are believers. And if you know the story, you know that the older brother has a problem. The son comes back, the, the one that's taken the money, taken his dad's money, gone off and squandered all the money. He's made a mess of his life, and now he's going to come back, and the older brother's not happy about it. And basically, the older brother says, okay, well, you can come back, but if you think you're, coming, if you think you're just going to come back for free, no, it's going to cost you. It's going to cost you. And if you think you're going to come back and you're just going to be a brother with me, you've got another thing coming because I don't look at you like that. I'm up here and you're down here. You screwed up. You messed up. You, you, you don't just go off like that and do what you did and then come back and expect me to be okay with it. You, you shouldn't be on the same level as me. I stayed here and worked with Dad and I stood by Dad and I've been a part of the family and I've been his son. You're the disobedient one. You're the one that went off and had a big party. Sometimes the people who are the unhappiest when lives are changed are the people who should be the happiest. Paul's passion for Christ changed him. Paul's passion for Christ caused him to in include everybody, but his passion for Christ established his identity. The moment he said, I'm going to go into their world, it helped him to understand who he was. Verse 20, I didn't take on their way of life. I kept my bearings in Christ. You don't have to be like them to reach them, but you have to like them. You know, you got to like them. People know when you don't like them. Generally speaking, they know. It's kind of hard to take Christ to somebody that knows you don't like them. And so you got to figure out how to like them. A lot of times our problem is we don't like them. Paul said, I'm a person of faith. I know who I am. I'm a Christ follower. I'm not compromising that. I know who I am. But in the process of knowing who I am, I also want to find them. And I'm going to keep my own identity. And I, have to be, I don't have to be like them, but I do have to like them. And that's the, kind of the bottom line. A lot of times we just don't like certain people. We don't like their behaviors. We don't like their lifestyles. We don't like their language or their music or the way they wear their clothes or their politics or, or, you know, people they hang out with or whatever. We've got to fall in love with lost people. We've got to be okay being around lost people, and we can't lose ourselves in the process, right? Salt and light. We've got to make sure we're, we're changing the environment, and the environment isn't changing us. When you leave your culture, you find out who you are. It's easy to be a Christian in here. Come in here, we love each other, we talk about Jesus, we pray for each other, and it's awesome. And then we go out into the marketplace and we find out sometimes what a horrible Christian we are. Like we just can't seem to get it right. When you go into a culture that isn't Christian, you quickly find out how much of a Christian you are. I'm going to tell you a story that I am not proud of. Uh, I, I don't know that I've ever told this story. Um, I wish I could have a do-over on this. Because I, I, I'm ashamed. I'm really, I tell you this story in shame. Before I came to this church as a youth pastor, I was out of ministry. And um, I was working on a golf course. Sounds great, but if you've ever worked on a golf course, it's different than playing on a golf course. I found that out. 
But I would have to get up early and meet. I was on the grounds crew, and we would meet early, dark outside, right, like really early. And I was fairly young, and all the guys that were older than me, I answered to all of them. They were all bosses to me. I was the low man on the totem pole. And so we would meet together every morning, and I would be told what you know, my responsibilities for the day were going to be. And there was a, a newspaper on the table, and somebody was reading it. It had something to do with the church and Jesus, and I forget exactly what it was, but um, Jesus and the church came up in the conversation, and these men, very coarse men, started to make very coarse jokes. And they were laughing, and they were poking fun. They, ma- they made, made a horrible comment about Jesus. They, you know, they put the church down. They put Christians down. And I stood there, silent. In fact, I may have even chuckled because I didn't want to seem out of place. I didn't want them to not like me. And I just kind of went along with it. And, and I forgot something that morning, and it's something that I think sometimes you forget, probably. Many Christians have forgotten that lost people are lost people. They don't know God. They don't know God. They're lost. And if somebody doesn't speak up, and somebody doesn't say something, they're lost. And that day, I'm not even sure at that point in my life how much that even weighed on me. I've grown so much since I've come here. I've learned a lot, but it just wasn't really on my mind. And I just, as I thought about my remarks today, I want to put that on your mind. Those people that say those things, that talk like that, that do stuff like that, those people that you're around that are far from God, and you think, man, I'll never be able to reach them for Jesus. They are lost. Many of them are deceived. And you might be the only person who has a, an inroad to them to be able to talk to them. And we're going to get to it in a minute, but you've got to figure out a way to do that. The question you have to ask yourself is, what am I going to do? Am I going to have a heart for my community as much as I have a heart for my church? Number four, the passion that Paul had for, in reaching people for Christ challenged him to enter their world and to get out of his comfort zone. He says, but I entered their world and tried to experience things from their point of view. Not his point of view, not the church's point of view, not the point of view that makes us all comfortable. I entered their world and tried to experience things from their point of view. I love being around people who are far from God and they know that I'm a pastor. And (laughs) I don't know what possessed me to do this, but in the first service, I used the illustration of me walking into a barber shop. Clearly, I'm not walking into any barber shops. I am my own barber. But there's places that I can walk into, and, you know, there's almost like an announcement that gets made. Well, hello, pastor, you know, to alert everybody else in the room that may not know so that they can clean up their language and, you know, straighten up and fly right because the pastor's in the room. I can't tell you how I hate that. I hate that. I don't like being treated special. I don't like people to change who they are. You know, my response to, you know, people, they'll know I'm a pastor and they'll say something and they'll go, I'm sorry, pastor. I'm like, if you can say that in front of Jesus, you can say that in front of me. I mean, no big thing for me. But I love it when they try to say things that startle me or they try to say things that'll kind of get me off kilter. Or they, they say things that they, they think that I won't like or won't appreciate. You can just kind of see them looking for that needle. You can see them looking for that unsettling thing and and i you know what you learn is that unconditional love doesn't get unsettled 
Unconditional love doesn't get startled. It doesn't, it doesn't get embarrassed. You know, you, you, unconditional love gets really comfortable in those kind of environments with those kinds of people because all they're thinking about is just sitting and loving them and listening to them and building a relationship with them. I, I More times than I can count, sat around the table with my brother when there's all kinds of nonsense going on around the table. Um, one thing I have learned is you can't really talk to drunk people about Jesus. It's really hard. It doesn't you know, um, you can convert them on that night, but they forget all about it by the next morning, so it doesn't really count, but um, that's kind of tough, but one of my favorite conversations is when I'm, I'm talking to somebody, and they know I'm a pastor, and, and they think I'm going to try to convert them, and there are certain people that, that they, they're far from God, and they, whenever they encounter someone who's close to God, or especially someone like a pastor that they think is like a professional Christian, you know, they... They, they've got a couple of bullets in their gun, special bullets. And, and when they encounter the pastor, boy, they reach for the big bullet. And the big bullet has always sounds something like this. Brett, I could never believe in a God who sends people to hell. You ever heard that? I can never believe in a God who sends people to hell. To which I respond, oh, me either. And they kind of scratch their head and they're like, what? I say, no, I, 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 couldn't, I couldn't believe in a God that sends people to hell either. But Brett, you're a pastor. I mean, that's what you do. You serve a God who sends people to hell. I say, no, no, no. you got to understand. Um, my God went to such lengths to keep people out of hell that he sent his own son to die on a cross to take away every excuse. Every, I mean, he took the death for us. Do you understand? He did everything he could do so that no one ever, ever, ever has to go to hell. Here's what you have to understand. You've got to step over God to go to hell, right? You've got to step over God. I, I do not serve a God who just says, you, you're done. No, he's doing everything he can possibly do to make it easy for us to get to him. You hear people say things like, I just feel uncomfortable in church. You know, they're always judging, and, and I think we do a pretty good job at Cross Lane. I really do. I think we're, you know, that, that total acceptance thing, I think we're pretty good at that. We, you guys are great at not judging people. We've had people walk in here, all manner of hair, and makeup, and we've had people walk in here that can set off a metal detector with their face. You know what I'm saying? Just, just I mean, it just it, they just look a little different sometimes, but you guys are awesome. You, you just welcome people, love them, you talk to them. We're warm. That's the thing I keep hearing out of visitors is, you know, just such a warm place. That's exactly what we want it to be. But some people, you know, some, some churches are just really judgmental and, and they don't want to do that. The church as a whole has got to fix this thing. We've got to stop trying to fix people and start unconditionally loving them. Paul said, I'm going to enter their world. I'm going to think like they think. Let me tell you something. When you're, next time you're with Uncle Joe, stop correcting Uncle Joe. All right? Stop correcting him. Just unconditionally love Uncle Joe. Uh, lost is lost. When you correct them, they are still lost. Doesn't change anything. Lost people, just love them as they are. Jesus is the answer for lost people, not me, not you, not our fixes and suggestions. We should do everything we can to get them to the only one who can help them, and that is Jesus. Let me tell you something. Uh, if you want to feel the Holy Spirit doing a work inside you, sit down with somebody who's far from God and just start telling them what Jesus has done in your life. How, you say, Brett, I can't talk to people about Jesus. Yes, you can. Just tell them what he has done to change your life. 
That's, that's all anybody wants to know is, does it make any difference? Does it change anything? That's what they want to hear. If, some, if you were thinking about buying a certain kind of detergent or a certain kind of car or a certain kind of tool, the salesman, you would want the salesman to let you know that this product works. If you're trying to sell Jesus to someone, they want to know, does Jesus actually work? Tell them how Jesus has changed your life. That's all you got to do. And, and when you're done with that, you're going to walk away and you're going to say, it is amazing the feeling I had today. God was with me. I could feel the Holy Spirit working and talking through me. You want to have a close encounter with God, you start talking to somebody else about the Lord and just how he has changed you. And I think you'd be amazed at what, what the Holy Spirit might say to you. Number five, the passion Paul had for lost people helped him to become creative. This is where his creativity comes in. I've, I've become just about every sort of servant there is in my attempts to lead those I meet into a God-saved life. It's, it's like you can hear Paul saying, I'll try this. Well, that didn't work. Well, let me try this. Whoops, that didn't work. It's just like he's, he's trying to connect. He's trying to figure out a way, what can I do to connect to these people? He just keeps trying to figure it out. Now, I'm not one that be, to be talking about creative thinking. I don't really consider myself a, a creative, super creative person. But when you talk to creative people, what you come away with is this idea that there's always, creative people always believe there's an answer. They always believe that it can be figured out. They always believe that there's some way to get through the problem. You know, creative people are not people who just throw their hands up in the air and say, well, it can't be done. Creative people say, no, that's got a solution and I'm going to figure it out. In fact, you know, men, think about the tools in your toolbox. Almost every tool, probably every tool in your toolbox is the result of somebody trying to solve a problem and they got creative in the process to do it. And then you got a tool. Some people think that they can't get to God. They think that, that, that you know, there may be a God, probably is a God, but I can't get to him. This is the picture they have of God. God's on the inside, and I'm on the outside, and, and that's for insiders. That's not for me. And it happens to me all the time. I'll be talking to somebody, and you know, they'll, you know, they, they know that I'm trying to help them to come to Christ. And, and they say, Brett, you, know, you don't know how much sinning I've done. I say, I don't care how much sinning you've done. Well, Brett, you don't know when was the most recent time I did it. Don't, don't care. Don't care. They, they think I'm on the outside. I want to be on the inside, but, but that's not for me. They kind of have a picture of themselves that looks like this. They, they, see, they think that God sees them like this. I'm just trash. I'm not worth anything to anybody. Brett, if you knew what I've done, you wouldn't even want to be talking to me. They kind of have an image of themselves when it comes to faith and how God sees them and many times how Christians see them, that's the image they have. They just think there's no way in the world that someone like them could ever get close to God. Now, if I just described you, if you're here this morning and that's the image you think God has of you, I'm here to tell you, you could not be any more wrong. And I don't care what you've done. I don't care when you did it. I don't, I don't care what you've done. You have not sinned beyond God's capacity to forgive you. And you are not someone that God doesn't love. God is crazy about you. He sent his son to claim you. And that image that you have of your life, if that's what it is, I'm just here to tell you, you're wrong. That's the wrong image. 
Some people say, uh, other people say, you know, I'm a good dad, I'm a good husband, I'm, 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 a, you know, I'm a good family guy, I'm a community guy. And what they're implying is that their good work somehow gets them closer to God. This is their picture. This is how they see themselves. The stairway to heaven, somewhere in the background, Led Zeppelin is talking as they're making their way up. The stairway to heaven, right? They just think the more stuff they do, the closer it gets them to God. Let me just, if that describes you, let me tell you something. Short of you giving your life to Christ and receiving his forgiveness, you can climb as many staircases as you want to and it's not going to get you any closer to God. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. Okay, so if you're trying to work your way to God, that's not going to get it either. Um, You want to connect with lost people? The best way to connect with lost people is figure out what picture they're looking at in their head and approach them through that picture. Figure, you know, if there's someone that thinks that they're working their way to heaven, then you know what kind of what you need to say. If they think they're junk, then you know uh, what, what they need to hear. If they think they're on the outside looking in, you know what to do about that. Just enter their world. Speak their language. I don't mean you have to cuss or do the kind of stuff that, that they do or talk like them, but they need to see the difference that Jesus makes in you. But you got to listen to them. you got to find out what's important. you got to really listen to them and not be concerned about what you're going to say back, but just to really listen to them. It's a lost art these days, listening to people. Hang out with people. Here's something to think about. We're given somewhere in the neighborhood of 60 to 80 years to live, most of us. Some a little more, some a little less. We're going to spend about that much time on this planet. We get so many trips around the sun. At the end of it, hopefully we go be with Jesus, right? But the time you've got now is the only time you will ever spend with people who are far from God. Once you get to heaven, that's over. Once you get to heaven, there are no lost people in heaven. Only found people in heaven. If you want to take your advantage of being able to win somebody to Christ, now is the time to do that because when it's over, it's over. What are you doing now? There are lost people who need Jesus, and your one shot might be this one encounter that you have with them if you've got the guts to, to enter in. Now, you generally need to... I, I'm not a big fan of the whole, hey, I just met you, let me tell you about Jesus. I think you've got to build a relationship. I think you've got to build some trust. I think you've got to show somebody that you love them and you care about them. And I think that they've got to know that if they never come to Jesus... See, here's the thing. A lot of, a lot of Christians will befriend people in an effort to win them to Jesus, but if they're not going to come to Jesus, I'm not going to be their friend, which to me is using somebody. If I'm your friend, I'm your friend whether you're going to come to Jesus or not. I'm friends with people. I've been trying to lead them to Jesus my whole life. You saw one of them. There's a guy in that picture. I'm trying to lead him to Jesus so bad, and I'm a long way from it. But if he never comes to Christ, I'm his friend for life. Don't, Don't just befriend him to just win him to Jesus. That's Jesus doesn't want you to do that. Makes people feel used. I have lots of people in my life who are not Christians. They may never become Christians, but I do everything I can to love them, show them they're a friend of mine. When you get intentional about being around people far from God, your faith is going to become more exciting. Some of you are so bored in your faith, and it's because you never step out and you try to do anything about it. You never talk to anybody. You never tell anybody what Jesus is doing in your life. I mean, my life would be boring, too, if that's the way it was. 
Paul's passion for reaching lost people finally allowed him to love and live out the message. He says, I did all this because of the message. I didn't just want to talk about it. I wanted to be in on it. Now, I'd like to share a poem with you. It's kind of short, but hopefully this will inspire you. When you enter the beautiful city and the saved all around you appear, what joy when someone will tell you it was you who invited me here. I was thinking this week about my pastor, L.D. Campbell. Uh, L.D. Campbell served my home church for 38 years. He's been in ministry for probably 60 or 70 years. Uh, L.D. Campbell had a massive, massive impact on my life, and as a result, has had somewhat of an impact on your life, because I get up here and say things that L.D. taught me to say. And I just was thinking this week, what would have happened if there hadn't been an L.D. Campbell? I think about all the people that L.D. Campbell has influenced in his ministry over the 38 years that he was at my home church. And I think about the Timothys that have gone out of my church and gone into service and and are preachers and and missionaries. And, and, you know, there's a ton of them. And I wonder how many of them would have done that if LD hadn't come into their life and changed their life. I I, I can tell you this, I don't know that I would be in ministry if it weren't for LD Campbell. So you start thinking about what if there's no LD Campbell? If there's no LD Campbell, then there's no Brett Wilson. And there are people that have come under my influence that have gone out and gone into ministry. There are people that have come under my influence that, that have become Christians. There are people that have come under my influence that talk about Jesus in ways that make a difference for people. And if there's no me, what happens to them? What happens to the kids that we had in youth group that we sent out into ministry? Maybe some of those kids don't ever go into ministry and the people they're influencing. You see what happens? You're important. If there's no you, what happens if there's no you and there's no you to talk to that person about Jesus? You're important. You've got influence. We, we can't have you on the sideline. We can't have you out of the picture. It's, it's not just pastors that are important. You're every bit as important. I mean, you, you're a better pastor to certain people than I could ever be. You have inroads to certain people I could never touch. You're important. Now, if you're here this morning, I need to just wrap this up. If you're here this morning and, and you're listening to me and you're not a Christian and you're thinking, Brett, you don't know what I've done. You don't know how badly I've messed up. You don't know how God wants nothing to do with me. Could we talk? Could we just sit down and have a conversation? I want to hear your story. I want you to tell me all about it. Tell me all the bad stuff. And when you're done telling me every bad thing you've ever done, I'm going to say none of that is as big as the cross. None of that is bigger than God's grace. None of that is bigger than God's capacity to forgive you. And man, when you get forgiven, freedom, freedom. I want to show you one last picture. This is an old picture. I recognize this is not what Jesus looks like, okay? I know you're like, Brent, that picture's from like the 1950s. I know, I know. I know Jesus doesn't look like this, but the, the concept of Jesus knocking on the door of your heart. 
There's some of you in the room, Jesus is knocking on the door of your heart, and the question is, are you going to open it, or are you going to leave him hanging? You're going to let him in? You're just going to leave the door closed and just go on living your pathetic, unsaved life. Open the door and let this man come in and heal you and give you grace and forgiveness and mercy and watch your life get transformed as you begin to live for someone other than you. Let's pray together. Father, for the person in the room that's never given their life to Christ, I, I don't. my words aren't, aren't sufficient to, to change them. Only you can change them, and I pray, Lord, that you would invade their heart even at this moment. Father, for the rest of us, as we go out into the marketplace, we're about to find out how good we do this, and a lot of times, Lord, we don't do it very good. We're sorry for that. We want to be better. We want to do better. Father, we do have a heart for lost people. We have compassion for them. They're deceived and they're lost and they don't know. And oftentimes they don't even know what step to take to get back. And we are the ones that are carrying the cure. We got the message. Help us to open our mouth. Help, help us to live a life that is worthy of what we're trying to say and help us to live the kind of life that gives us inroads into those people who are far from God. Because we want to see them know what we know, and that is that you can be completely forgiven. So, Lord, we are just collectively, spiritually on our faces before you this morning in worship. We lift up your name and only your name, and we ask you to just come and fill us and make us everything that you're calling us to be. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.